Start recording, we could always edit the first few minutes and go from here. Okay. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Don't Talk About It. I'm your host, Dean D, and I'm here with my newfound friend, Nick. And we had a very common trait, and his story has a little bit to do with a career change. And the things that we tend to do as men that put us in this man box, so to say. And uh, Nick, how are you doing here today? I'm doing well, Dean. Thanks for having me. Hey, thank you. Nick is my first guest, and I give him lots of credit for getting behind the microphone. So I was recently looking at mensline.org.au, which is the Australian version um, of this website, and they talk about a thing called, or a structure called the man box. And the man box is the stereotypes that we get put into um, as males that we have to act around our peers, uh, around our wives, and around our jobs. So we're going to take some time today to go through seven of those bullet points with a little personal example of each one, either when we felt we acted in this way, which was not in our best interest, or when we define that norm. Um, so Nick and I both have some examples, and we'll be sharing those with you today. Our first one is self-sufficiency this one is one of my favorites it is talking with others about your issues and concerns is shown as weak this is something that is very personal to me uh, my grandfather was a world war ii navy boxing champion um, he came back from world war ii with severe ptsd and because he was not able to talk about it, this is something he told me um, before he had passed. His ear that responded to him when he wanted to talk was actually the bottle. And when he came back from war, he was an alcoholic for 30 years um, until he finally sobered up and acting confidently and being able to admit that he had an issue and was able to go seek help for that issue allowed him to be a model for the last 20 years of his life, um, which he spent every day at the VA uh, really helping people who have been away, um, have seen, we're not talking about just military personnel like police officers, firefighters, uh, there's this standard where we all encounter these things that are really horrific and we're just not allowed to talk about them because as a, a male, that's that's shown as weak. What do you think, Nick? Well, yeah, I think this is something I've definitely experienced throughout my life. And uh, the example that comes to mind is actually a pretty recent one. I had my wife and I had been living in a different town and I had a really secure and pretty well paying job. And my wife did as well, but I had kind of been more established and made a little bit more money. And I kind of fit the traditional male role in that regard. And then when we decided to move down here, she continued to be employed in her profession, and I 
more or less became uh, fun employed. But really, I'm working a lot. I'm working <laughs> on uh, our farm that we decided to take on this project with. But I'm not bringing in an income. And I didn't think that it would be an issue until I started living it. And I had, I started to realize that, and you know, I think it came with through how some of my peers, male and female, uh, kind of regarded me. And I just, it felt different. It felt like before I was definitely self-sufficient and I had the means to do whatever I wanted to do. <laughs> Not really, but, um, and then now, like we, I, we still like, like have, like we're because through our partnership with uh, my partner, we are still able to like have all our needs met, like economically. But I don't have that kind of that income and that status that comes with that. So I had to kind of check myself because when I started feeling insecure, inferior because of that, or, you know, I was talking to a male friend of mine who makes lots of money and I would feel that kind of bubbling up in me. I just really needed to be, make sure that I was aware of that. Cause I didn't want that to manifest in some negative way. Like if I maybe would treat my wife unfairly or myself. Um, so that's something I kind of had to learn to be okay with. Uh, even though I was feeling those pressures that I wasn't expecting to feel. Yeah, and Nick, you really brought up a, a great topic. You talk about status, and I feel um, both this is gender-specific. We experience both male and female issues um, within our own identity. Uh, but, uh, Nick, you bring up a really good point with status. Um, I feel like men tend to use status a bit like the birds of paradise. It's... Um, it's not who you are as a bird, but it's how much flash you have that, uh, you know, gets you the female. Is that, would you say that kind of feels a little correct too? Oh yeah. I mean, I, I feel that for sure. It's, it's interesting how kind of what the, maybe the normal standard ways that men might try to do that. And in our community here, we're you know, a smallish town and you get a lot of the, look how big my truck is and how nice, you know, how fancy my things are or whatever. And that, yeah, that feels a little bit like the birds of paradise. So our next bullet point is on acting tough. And one of the things with acting tough is there's a couple different areas for this. So this first podcast is going to be a little bit longer. Um, being it's our first guest, we're going through some bullet points and these are just our experiences. So everybody's situation is a little different. But with acting tough, kind of the two breakdowns is one, um, if somebody pushes you or does something, you have to fight back. And um, the other area is you're not allowed to feel scared or you're not allowed to be nervous. And, like, you have to be the tough one. For example, if you and your wife are walking through the middle of the woods and you hear a sound, she's allowed to be scared, but you're not. You have to be that, like, strong person. The other thing is with fighting back is 
I remember when I was freshman year in high school and I got pushed in the hallways, um, or what I thought was getting pushed in the hallways, and this kid bumped into me and turned. Or I turned around, and at the time, he was more nervous than I was, which I didn't think was possible being a five foot six hundred and ten pound freshman. Uh, but at the time, he totally looked at me and my friends around me said, kick his ass, kick his ass. And in, and I looked at him and I, I was like, accident? And he nods his head and go, oh, have a good one. And we just walked off and my friend's like, oh, and uh, it turns out that this guy became one of my best friends all through high school. And um, we had a situation where I was actually ganged up on by a few people and um, he stepped in and uh, the fight never occurred because of it. So it's good to challenge a, a different approach. And because I remember going home as a kid and my dad was so pissed off at me that I like let this kid get away with this. And I just couldn't, I remember not being able to pinpoint why this was such a big deal or why I should feel so personally attacked by this. I mean, I get bumped by the little old lady with her shopping cart who can barely see me in the hallway. Am I supposed to kick her ass too? I mean, where, where does that line end instead of just treating people as exactly that people? Nick, what are your thoughts on this? Well, it makes me think of a slightly different example. And it, and I think it kind of just brings up how this can, this pressure can influence Like there's, you know, if it's a physical fight kind of situation, then I think like most men have experienced that at some point. And uh, we've almost, I'd imagine most of us have not liked the outcome of that circumstance. Uh, and I also think though that it can affect us in other ways too. Uh, the example that comes to mind is I, there was a while that I was, had a membership with a rock climbing gym with my younger sister. And we would go and we'd go rock climbing together. And I remember there's this day that there's all these accomplished rock climbing dudes around me. And my sister and I were trying to do a, a more difficult climb. And she was performing better than I was on this climb. And... I just saw these guys around me watching that and that made me get all like steamed that I'm, a, I'm a man. This is my younger sister. Like I'm supposed to be able to, you know, be able to man my way up this rock climb better than she can. And I remember just kind of getting upset about it and it like maybe not treating my sister super well in that moment and trying trying hard to, 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 to best her with this climb so I could like show off to these other guys. And I actually remember one of them came over and this was a pretty cool moment actually that the guy without judgment, without like calling me a sissy or something actually said, your sister's a good climber. You, you know, you could learn a thing or two by watching her technique. And namely, and actually a lot of women do this, is they rely more heavily on their legs when they're rock climbing and men tend to 
use more of their upper body strength. But just because a lot of women don't have as much upper body strength as men, like that's, they just kind of default to using their legs, which is actually a better technique because your legs are much bigger muscles and you get better endurance. And if you're using your legs properly while climbing, you're going to be able to be a better climber. And it was uh, a cool outcome that I was getting all hot and bothered. And then it kind of turned into something where I was actually learning something and respecting like my sister had this ability to do something. Um, and I was just trying to act tough around her and these other strangers. So. That's a, a great story, Nick. I, I really like um, how you pinpoint um, the guy who came over because if we look at each other as human beings instead of gender competitors, then we really can learn a lot from each other. And, um, and it kind of reminds me of this documentary that I just watched about Mercury 13 on Netflix, who was talking about the women who went through the NASA space program. And when they went through the D, uh, I know I'm going to mess this up, but like the desensitization chamber where the air pressure, the water that you're floating on and your body temperature are all the same. So you pretty much lose all sensation. And the men at this time, the Mercury 7, were averaging three to four minutes, according to this documentary. And the women were blowing that out of the water with nine. Um, and they actually shut down the program because the men were outperforming the women. So it, at that point, it no longer became a space race. It became a space gender race. Um, so, like, great story, Nick. I really appreciate you bringing that up. So that brings me to our next bullet point, which is physical attractiveness. And this one, to me, just I don't get at all. Because what it says is that men are supposed to look gorgeous without any work whatsoever. And, ladies, I'm sorry, but if you look at your man, you can all see how well that goes. Um, we, I mean, we need to work on ourselves like just like you. Um, and... I feel like we get trapped sometimes because anything we try to do on that level um, is very restricting. And I bring up my wife, who is a gymnast. She's been a gymnast for 20 years. And um, she, from that, has like a natural six-pack stomach. And I'm talking about like a stomach you could literally wash clothes on. Um, but for the first probably five years we were married... Um, or together, uh, I would not take my shirt off at the beach around her. Um, I would as long as we were keeping our distance, but as soon as I got close to her, I noticed myself like sucking in my stomach and like trying to do these things to compete with her because I couldn't let her have a six pack stomach because that was a male identifying trait that I always saw growing up on the magazines is that every Brad Pitt, Fight Club, everybody had a six-pack stomach. And here my wife is, who has one, you know, from all her gymnastics, and I don't. And it really led me to a point where I feel um, trapped because I wasn't allowed to work on it as a man because that would be vain. And um, the reality is, back to the start of it, is why does it matter? Why does it really matter? Nick, your two cents. Well, this makes me think a lot of like middle school, high school era of my life 
where I started to want to be sexually attractive uh, in a in a manly sort of way, and I had a like an idea, an image of what a sexually attractive male ought to look like, largely influenced by you know movies and TV and the popular dudes at the school <laughs> kind of thing, and so that's what at that time I really like aspired to physically look like because that was what would make me be sexually attractive and through some struggling and real you know realizing that I am could never be what this idea was in my head it was causing me problems is making me feel insecure and uh, all the you know the negative outcomes that come from that I'm very thankful that kind of through towards the end of my high school time I started to really learn to like love and appreciate who I am and to have more realistic expectations of what I would like physically look like and just be happy with you know, who I am as an individual person. And the most wonderful thing about that is that that was the time in my life where I think I actually did become more sexually attractive to uh, people that, you know, I might have that kind of relationship with because I was confident, more confident, and I, I appreciated and loved who I was and I was okay with that. And that was attractive to people not necessarily looking fitting a specific mold i think you touch on a great topic nick which is i feel like there is this gender stereotype that men you know have to be physically attractive more dominant yada 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 everything that we're going to be talking about and then some and sometimes it falls into that realm where you are you really attracting the person who is best for who you are as a person because what you're putting out there might not be genuine to who you are so great point nick really appreciate that so that brings us into our next one which is this rigid masculine role of the fact that men do not do any household chores and that they have to be the financial breadwinner well, first of all, I married somebody who I love on every scale, except for the fact that she is a terrible picker-upper after herself. And so um, I am a very, very, very big part participant in the household chores, um, mainly because I'm OCD and it's more of a priority to me. So my wife and I define our household chores based on kind of who gets more irritated by what needs to be done like she can be totally fine letting the dishes sit in the sink for a day or two i gotta clean them right away um where i don't mind wearing dirty clothes and she's got to wear clean clothes so one of the things we do is she does actually all the laundry and i do all of the dishes um but it's mainly based on what we like and what we don't like and not like what the gender breakdown says But the financial role is actually the more interesting one to me because 
I grew up with a father who didn't exist. Uh, my dad was a long-haul truck driver, and I would maybe see him for one or two days a month um, when he came home, and that was only if he didn't have anything on his agenda, which could be hanging out with friends, fixing his truck, buying a new motorcycle. Um, but I remember my dad, as long as he fulfilled, like, being able to bring home money, his role as a father was done. And I realized, actually, just recently, in the last uh, six months, that I am following a very similar role, is I am deprioritizing a bunch of other important things in my life to make six digits a year because according to my dad if you didn't make six digits a year you were an effing failure and I don't know why I'm so fixated on that so I have recently went from a career of working um, 60 70 hours a week and being in uh, I would say a better status bracket um, to actually only working three or four days a week, um, having about half the financial income, but I spend about 30 hours a week more with my wife. And for me, that is what fills my cup at the end of the day is the time. Um, but I, I want to openly admit this and take ownership for it because I really feel like I missed out on a lot of time in our relationship because I had to be a breadwinner instead of just having to be exactly what my wife wanted, which is the person that she married. And that is just somebody to be around who she enjoys to spend time with. And that's what I've learned recently is it's not so much what surrounds me, but it's more who I am as a person. So Nick, can I put you on the spot with this one? Sure. Uh, I'll just come right out of the gate saying that gender roles, stereotypical gender roles and adhering to them is such bullshit. And it was such a good yes. lesson that I've learned in my life when, when you realize that. I mean, there's men that like to clean. There's men that don't like to clean. There's women that like to clean. There's women that don't like to clean. And that we shouldn't feel pressured to fit into those roles. And even worse... We shouldn't pressure others to fulfill those roles. Uh, I've, I've experienced with people that I know, uh, especially in romantic relationships, just go really south really fast because one person or the other had an expectation for the person to fit a certain mold. And that wasn't what that person was. And it just causes strife. I mean, that's uh, not a recipe for success. And Hopefully people, what's important, kind of like in the example you were providing, Dean, what's a, what's important is to realize, like, this is the way, I, especially if you're cohabitating with somebody, this is the way I operate, this is the way you operate, let's discuss what, like, our needs are and how we can work in this relationship to make sure that the chores get done and our needs are being met and there, you know, there's, there's some... It's, it feels good, and, it, and not one person is more taken advantage of the other kind of thing. Yeah, that's a great point, Nick. And it re kind of reminds me while you were talking of um, how if we are not genuine to ourselves, then we're not genuine to our partner. And if we are trying to form a relationship, how really fair is that to the women that we're advertising that we're one thing and then we're actually showing that we're another? 
it's you know it's kind of like when you see the the gorgeous food in the window when you're like in paris or wherever and they have stuff on display and you're like oh my god that looks amazing and then you want to take a bite of it but it's like you know two weeks old and it would probably give you like dysentery or something if you actually ate it um and i feel like that is a little bit of like what we tend to do sometimes is we tend to put our best foot forward instead of our entire self so really great points nick i uh i appreciate that that side and uh i think it's very very important that we focus on the relationship instead of the self um so thank you on to the next so that brings us to our next bullet point, which to me is a little bit of a comical one. Um, it talks about heterosexuality, and it says a gay guy is not a real man. So my first question is, is who you're attracted to what makes you as a man or not a man? I thought that it was just kind of a simple like genitalia thing, <laughs> but maybe maybe it's a little bit more. Uh, the other one was uh, continues and says straight guys should not have gay friends. Um, so I would say that one of my best friends to this day is openly gay, and I <laughs> applaud him. I'm so proud of him. Um, I feel like one of the things that makes you manly... Um, is actually confidence. Um, people talk about all these tangible factors that I tend to say are more materialistic or more superficial, but I feel like the men that most people view as men are the people who are very confident of who they are as a person and not what they have, not how big their truck is, not how many AR-15s they have, not how many camo, you know, hats they have, not how many Romeos they wear. It's, it's, I think it's based more around just the confidence to say, this is who I am as a person. Um, and that, I know what I'm saying is a male characteristic, but I think it is a human characteristic that we have started to really separate. Um, but furthermore, I have this funny little tangent that I want to go off on, and it was a story um, because I was friends with a lady named Vaughn, and she and her girlfriend were some of my best friends in college. And they took me out one night to this uh, gay bar in Eugene, and um, they're like, okay, if you're going out for the first time, you have to wear this shirt. And it was just a white shirt. And I was like, okay, cool. So I put on this white shirt, and... I was definitely naive and intoxicated. Um, and so we go into this bar, and it's a blacklight bar. And all of a sudden, I have people hitting all over me. And I turn around, and I look at the mirror, and there's a shirt on the back that says, Hello, boys, please tap me on the back of the shirt. <laughs> and I could have gotten so pissed and just been threatened and totally ran out of the bar and ruined my whole night. And um, so what I did instead is I ended up taking off the shirt and that ended up making the whole scene of the night. And um, so I took something that was a joke and turned it even more into a joke. 
And I really realized that my friends were giving me a great message, which is don't put so much energy into how things look. Put more energy into how things feel. And some of the people that I hung out with that night are just the most accepting people. And part of me feels like it's because that they aren't accepted to begin with. So sharing acceptance is something they tend to be a little more open to. And um, it's really an area of my life that I would miss out on if I was close-minded to it. Which brings us into our next bullet point. Nick, I'm sorry, I'm going to skip you on this one and just rolls right into it. We're talking about heterosexuality, which has a lot to do with sex drive. Is Men have this stereotype that you're not a real man unless you have a strong sex drive. And you throw down your woman, and you bring her into the home, and you, you know, show her what's up. But I feel like the one thing that's missing out of that conversation is orgasms. And I don't know how many women out there are actually having orgasms by their men. I know statistically it's pretty low. And part of me feels like it's because of this quantity over quality is that men are always told that they're supposed to conquer women and have their stories and go tell about their their stories to their friends and it's more of a it's almost like kind of reminds me of like the movie 300 where you had to conquer property and um and it's just not a good way to be i know like when i slow down in my marriage and i listen to my wife and i listen to her body and i ask questions um i know we're both happier at the end of the night and Usually her, because I, I hate to say this, men are always tend to be a sure thing. Um, it It's like, if we're into it, we're, you know, we're common. But if we're, but for women, it's, it's, it's very different. And I feel like it's because they put the male, or we always societally put the male needs first. Um, but my wife and I have really moved into a, a whole new category of discussion and that has really enhanced our sex life. And it has nothing to do with stories I'm boasting about to my friends. And it has nothing to do with um, how often we have sex. Um, I know I would much rather be patient and have a great night of passion than have some pretty lousy sex every night. I don't know. What do you think, Nick? I think it's getting hotter in this room right now. What's going on in here? Um, yeah, so thinking about hypersexuality makes me think of college. For those of you who've gone through college, or at least that kind of time of your lives, uh, that tends to be, uh, you know, people are dating more. They're not as often in established relationships, and, you know, you might be out partying more and all that kind of stuff. So, um, and that's what I did. I partied a lot, and... I remember in those environments um, that seeing, like, especially with men, uh, some men, this kind of drive to try to get laid and to kind of try to influence and encourage your friends to try to do the same behavior and uh, that just leading to, like, all these unhealthy <laughs> and unhappy situations and perhaps people taking advantage of uh, other people and just all this like 
just bad stuff. And uh, my experience there is luckily I uh, didn't, I always was <laughs> had some good character in me that I didn't ever want to take advantage of anybody. So that helped me navigate through that. Um, but also, you know, like when I would have sexual relationships with people in that kind of context, it usually felt really shallow or almost even dirty and it wasn't very satisfying. And, um, my experience is similar to yours, Dean, that once I looked for just more meaningful romantic relationships with people, uh, the sex got way better <laughs> and <Isn't laughs> my re- relationships, it was just so, it was just so much, it was just night and day difference. And, uh, cause you know, went from circumstances where you, you know, you wake up feeling bad about yourself to quite the opposite. And, um, that was, uh, that's a great thing to learn. And, uh, and I, I really think that that hyper masculinity and especially that kind of boasting and influencing that some men tend to do towards each other just largely leads to negative, not so cool circumstances. So, isn't it amazing what happens when you actually talk to your partner? Yeah, <laughs> great, definitely. great point, Nick. And uh, that brings us into our last bullet point of the man. And that brings me into our last one, which is aggression. And this one's actually a completely different area for me. And I realized it about a year ago, and um, you're going to hear about it today. So we always think about aggression in physical. And Nick, you might want to touch base on the physical side of things, but I'm going to touch base on a new area. And that has to do with road rage. Um, this is something I've experienced myself, but before we get into that, I'm going to start with a little study. Um, the National Highway Safety Administration in 2017 did a study with the University of Michigan, and what they found out is there is 1.4 million less drivers that are male. However, there is 1.7 million more accidents caused by males which i find very fascinating because i remember my dad saying up saying as a child growing up that women are terrible drivers i'm sorry dad the facts don't lie we're the worst drivers and one of the reasons behind it is aggression and i'm gonna pull a page out of my personal story for this one is I remember when I graduated from college, I had been the poor college kid down to $17 in my bank account, buying as much tuna and top ramen as you can get just to stay alive. And then I graduated, I had an income, and I went out and I bought a WRX. And I souped it up, and I became the biggest a-hole on the road. I realized that a 0 to 60 in 4 seconds was a great dick waiver and a great way to show up everybody who tried to dick me. If I was trying to get on the freeway and somebody punched it, guess what? I can punch it even more. However, 
Over the years, that has changed. I now have a Toyota Tacoma, which is a great vehicle for my wife and I. It works perfect for our family. But what I've noticed is no matter how hard I punch it, a V6 from a 2001 Toyota Tacoma doesn't do a damn thing. So I better let go of my masculinity and my dick waving. So one of the things I've realized is the more confident I have become as a male, but not as a male, as a human, the more confident I have become in myself, what I like, what I don't like, what I'm affected by, what I'm not affected by, I've noticed my driving has really changed. I went from being the person who, if I saw somebody trying to get into a merge, I would scoot up as close as possible to make sure there was only a half an inch between the car in front of me and myself, just to prove that there is no way you are getting in. That was my aggression. However, now I realize that the person that I was leaving out of that merge was most of the time either a 17-year-old student driver or a 93-year-old woman. Or somebody who was just trying to make their way into the stream. They were never competing with me, but yet I was instantly competing with them. And I feel like aggression on the road is where we really see this masculine-like dominance. I don't, I mean, I have a Toyota Tacoma, which is a pretty small truck, and I get asked all the time why I don't buy a bigger truck. I also get my ass road going down the road by a lifted Ford, Dodge, diesel, Chevy, whatever you're driving. It's lifted. It's probably got 15 inch wide tires on it with 20 inch rims. It looks like an RC car, but you know what it is? It's the man of the highway and it's going to drive you off the road. However, when you're focused on how you look, you're not focused on the people around you. And in my opinion, that is what causes most of the accidents by the males, is our man box. Not so much that we're worse drivers. It's that we put our egos before our safety. What do you think, Nick? What's your two cents on this one? Well, you make me think of road rage examples. <laughs> Can't help it, but... Um... And so the story is that I am a bit of a bicycle commuter. Talk about being vulnerable on the roads and not really being in a position to like defend yourself in a manly way versus some, you know, ginormous truck or whatever that comes by. And if somebody's acting aggressively towards you and so in, when it, you know, a while ago, um, when I was younger and easier uh, to to get kind of like heated, um, I remember wanting an opportunity to confront somebody that did something like rude or dangerous to, towards me when I was on my bike. But a lot of times they just do something rude or dangerous towards you and then they drive away and you can't do anything because they're moving faster than you are. You can't catch up with them. So this one time, uh, this big truck drives by, towing a trailer, 
and they cut the corner pretty short and I was right there on my bike and I actually had to hop up on the curb and to get out of the way of this trailer that almost clipped me and could have majorly hurt me or killed me. And then the guy pulled forward and at the time I was very angry and he came up to a stoplight, a red light and had to stop. And, you know, I was like, well, this is my opportunity. So like I rode up right up to that guy's window and I started knocking on the window and just started like laying into this guy, like, what are you doing? You idiot. You almost killed me. Blah, blah, blah. And it was an elderly gentleman who was so, he was more horrified than I was. I was scaring the crap out of this person. They had no idea that I was there. He was not intentionally trying to like run me off the road. He didn't see me. And I was scaring him and he was very apologetic. But in that moment, I was so upset I couldn't really process it. So... I'm just like, well, whatever, watch your where you're going. And he, you know, we went our separate ways. Um, but it just made me feel really bad. <laughs> and it, that is an example of countless examples that I've had where the being in that moment where there's like, where physical aggression often happens when there's something like that happens and people get heated or insulted or whatever. And, it, things escalate and it it leads to some kind of physical violence it never turns out well sometimes it might feel like it feels like in the short run that it that you won it turned out in your favor but i'm telling you in the long term it it hurts you just as much as the person you're hurting and that it's not it's something that causes so much problems in our society, whether it's on the roads or wherever, school, work, interpersonal relationships, all of that. Um, so I think it is something for us as men to really think hard about and work to control. Uh, and, you know, people get angry, but what are healthy ways of expressing that anger that aren't going to cause harm to others or ourselves? Yeah, Nick, when, as you were saying that, it kind of reminds me a little bit of um, about five years into our marriage, my wife and I um, had a conversation where she told me that, like, if you don't get your road rage under control, I will no longer ride with you. And I hate to say that right now online for anybody to listen to, but I need to own it. <laughs> is like it it can really like nick is saying it can really exacerbate to a different level and it you know it even reminds me of like you know if somebody bumps into you if somebody does something like why question yourself first why is this a personal attack why are you feeling personally attacked because what I've realized as I've worked as a wellness consultant with most people is that they are so concerned about their own views, their own actions, and how those actions are coming across that they don't even have time to think about you. 
So why are you so focused on what other people think if they're not putting that time into you? It leaves us with a lot of questions. But as far as I'm concerned, we should question it. Things are changing. Times change. And in order for us to change the male view, we need to accept it and we need to embrace it. There is plenty of ways to be a masculine male, a confident person who is a leader, who is somebody who others follow or others support. But that comes with being who you are genuinely as a person and not the status or the stereotypes that you're able to check the box with. So Nick, I want to thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate you being my first guest. This is an extra long podcast. And for those of you who stuck with us, I thank you. For those of you who didn't, Tune back in because there's more to this story. Have a great day. Thank you for your time and for your ears.